morning we're continuing on in our study of the book of Acts. This morning we'll be entering into chapter 4. And if you haven't been with us, the book of Acts is an account of the early church written by Luke. Now Luke doesn't get a title like disciple or apostle because he was neither. Luke was a Gentile who came to faith under the ministry of Paul. I like to continuously point that out to you because it is helpful for us to know that Luke is a lot more like us than we think. Uh, Luke did not grow up in a Jewish family. Luke heard about Jesus because somebody loved him enough to share Jesus with him. And then Luke pursued and dug into his faith and goes on to write more of the New Testament than any other writer. Uh, Luke is a fascinating guy to study. And he, he writes this book, the book of Acts, to be paired with the book of Luke to help answer the question of what happened after Jesus died. What happened after he was resurrected? What happened after Jesus finally ascended into heaven? So Luke writes these two books of Acts as a testimony to his friend Theophilus, a man that he wants to testify to all that Jesus had done and all that the disciples had done to spread the gospel and to grow the church. And catch this, because this might be the most important part of it. Because Luke wanted to make sure it would be forever plain and clear that God has a mission for His people. That we're not merely saved and kept, but we are reconciled and then sent as reconcilers. That's language from 2 Corinthians 5. That the end of Christianity is not just to believe in Jesus and go on living in the same way, or believe in Jesus and become the holiest, most rule-following version of you you can become, or to believe in Jesus and keep it to yourself so as to not offend anyone, or even believe in Jesus and He will make you rich and wealthy and your life will be perfect. All of these are heresies found in the early church and in the current modern church. And you will not find any of these ideologies in the book of Acts. Now in the book of Acts, you find normal people who love Jesus, living life in the power of the Holy Spirit, and testifying to a great salvation in Jesus. So we just sang about that He is more than enough, that all of our hope is in Him. And you know why we sing it? Because all of our hope is in Him. Friends, if you put your hope in anything else, you're going to find it so faulty and missing. That's the lie of this world that wealth could somehow fill us, that stuff could somehow make us feel better, that if I could be in the right relationship or do the right things, it will solve my problems. And what the book of Acts testifies to, what the entire Bible testifies to, is that Jesus is the only means to salvation the only salvation to be found. We find that message thoroughly, overtly, and over and over again in the book of Acts. This morning as we head into this fourth chapter, I need to remind you that the fourth chapter comes as a reaction to the events that happened in the third chapter. So let's build some context for those who have not been with us the whole time. The beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple. They're planning to pray, and they come across a lame man, a man who hadn't walked. The text would tell us that he's been lame for some 40 years, probably from birth. 
Guy asks them for some money. Situation, no doubt, many of us find ourselves in from time to time. And Peter responds back to him saying this, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And then Peter heals him in the name of Jesus. And we walked through that passage two weeks ago, reminding us that Jesus really is the most important thing we have and the most important thing we could ever offer someone. And then as chapter 3 continues, the crowd who recognized the lame man, now watching him walk, and that's a testimony at play, isn't it? Because that's testimony at work. That's you were once lost and now you're found. You were once broken and now you're healed. That's testimony at work. Friends, we should never be ashamed of our testimony, regardless of how grotesque it may be or how plain it might seem. Because the matter of sin that you're ever involved with doesn't matter. Those are details that God saved you and that that's the incredibly important thing. That you were dead in your sin and He transferred you into life. And it's testimony at work here because people see a man who was different and now he's changed. And they look at that and they're all, they don't know what to do. That's what happens in this crowd. They'd seen this guy over and over again. So the crowd begins to build and Peter stands up and begins to preach. His, and this is his second public message. Again, calling people to repent, to turn away from their sins and to turn to Jesus. We walked through that passage last week. And so this morning, we turn to chapter 4, verse 1. And the scene is set for us. And as they were speaking to the people, I was talking about Peter and John. Clearly, John has taken a turn preaching. Uh, it, it, the text testifies that they both were speaking. The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. First thing we want to notice again is their focus on the gospel. So if you summarize this whole event in one short story, you could say that Peter and John stopped on their way somewhere to share the gospel. Then they used that as an opportunity to stand and preach the gospel. The text says that they continued to teach the people and proclaim Jesus. And from this, there are two responses to the gospel that we need to note. And the first comes from the religious people. I'll use that term a couple of times this morning because to be fair, Jesus didn't have a whole lot of favorability with religious people. Being people who follow rules, people who think they can do it right, people who think that if I can just do X, Y, and Z, God will think I'm righteous. Jesus abhorred those people throughout the New Testament. And you still find them here in the book of Acts. And here the religious people of that day, the priests and the Sadducees, were annoyed because they were talking about Jesus. Now this isn't the audience they were speaking to. These are detractors. And you have to know the Gospel will always have detractors. There will always be people who will want to take away from what you're wanting to say. And I point this out to us because sometimes the fear of these kinds of detractors can keep us from speaking the Gospel. Which is to say this. We don't want to annoy anyone, do we? We don't want to bother people. And somehow we miss 
the potential, the possibility. Uh, Scoot down a little bit to verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Many of those who heard believed. And they were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They believed and they were saved. And not just a couple of them. Luke reports 5,000 men. And that's just men. It's actually fair math if you're standing in a temple courtyard in the inner court where there are only men anyway. 5,000 becomes a, an easy way to count people, but that's just the men. We're not even counting women and children. So as we followed our math in chapter 4, conceivably two months, give or take, after Jesus ascended, the church might now be around 15,000 people. That's pretty enormous. But these people believed because Peter and John were willing to preach the Gospel at the cost of annoying people. They preached the Gospel and it was fruitful. And that's what we can't miss here. Because we might walk in such a way to not annoy people and that's fine. The Gospel doesn't call us to be annoying people. But it does call us to be faithful. Faithful to the extent that we're willing to pay the price. And part of that price might be being annoying. Because somewhere out there, we have to believe that the chances somebody could come to know Jesus is of far greater worth than us being annoying. Is that true? Is it true? I need more passion. More passion. Yes! Do you understand eternity? Like this is not a small deal that we're trivializing here. This is not like, if you do this, they get a free buy one, get one free at Hardee's. This is eternity that matters. It's the only thing that matters. So let me ask you this. Is it worth annoying some people to speak the Gospel? Is it worth greatly annoying people to speak the gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely it is, because you'll never know the fruit of it. And to be fair, you may never see the fruit of it. I've done ministry now uh, professionally for about 18 years. In those 18 years, I counted last night, eight different times where I've gotten a phone call from somebody in my life that I've done ministry around that I'd not seen in more than five years who called me to say, man, you would never believe what happened in my life. Man, God has just been working on me and working on me and working on me, and I just gave my life to Christ and thought you'd want to know. You know what that testifies to? Seeds being planted. That we can walk in such a way that we want to say something, we want 5,000 people to go, I'm here, I'll believe. That if I could create a rally and ask you to speak at it and say, hey, if you come and speak at this, probably 3,000 people would get saved. You'd all line up. Maybe, maybe not. You have to lean into that reality that most people are more afraid of speaking than dying, but that's another conversation for another day. But we want to believe that we'll be effective. And what I want you to know is the Bible tells you you'll be effective. God's Word does not return void. Always true. That's a promise God makes to us. It just doesn't mean that it's going to be in our time that we'll see it. 
We started this year, actually last year, planting a garden in our side yard for our kids. One of the reasons why we did it was because we live in the north and we know a lot of farmers and we thought we'd participate. Another reason we did it, because I wanted my kids to see what happens when you put a seed in the ground. Because I promise you, five minutes later, Claire's like, what's happening? And that night, Claire's like, but dad, what's it? And the next day, Claire wants to look at the seed again. And the following day, Claire wants to look at the seed again. And it, didn't, it took like eight days before anything broke the soil. And I don't know if that's fast or not. This is our second time. We're new to this. And it probably won't even work, but that's what we're trying. We don't have to see things to know that there's fruit because God promises there will be fruit. There's always a cost to preaching the gospel. And it might be you being annoying, but this is where we'll bounce back to verse 3. Because after they annoyed them, verse 3 testifies... And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. What that says is Peter and John went to jail. They got put away. By the way, this is why the prosperity gospel-based churches don't preach the book of Acts. Because Peter and John don't get a Bentley. They go to prison. They don't get their best life now. They go to jail. They probably get like a microwave meal. And that can be the reality in lots of parts of our world today. That if you preach Christ, you don't risk annoying people, you risk something far greater. For seven years in Memphis, we took college kids to a Muslim country for spring break. In that country, we would share the gospel with Muslim college kids over and over and over and over and over again. And I'd have to explain to our team before we went, guys, you need to know up front that there's a fine for giving a Bible or a tract to somebody. That if you're caught giving them a Bible, they'll put you in jail and you'll owe them 3000 bucks. Will it happen? I don't know. If you get caught and they testify against you that you share the gospel with them, whether they convert or not, they can put you in jail and the cost will be $5,000. And you know what we're going to do? That. Over and over and over again. Now, none of us got caught, but it was absolutely worth it, even if we had to pay the fine. It was worth it over and over and over again. You may have picked up on this. I love the world. I love that God is moving throughout the world. God has given me an ability to see lots of things and have lots of friends overseas. And I've got a good friend named David who does ministry in Nepal. David's told his wife, you need to know up front, that in my ministry in Nepal, I'm probably going to spend months at a time in jail. So that this is just part of their marital agreement. Hey, just so you know, there's going to be times I disappear and you're going to know where to find me. And you're going to bring me food. Why? Because it happens. I have a Pakistani friend named Cecil. I have a picture of him. You'll note which one is Cecil because he's the Pakistani guy. If you look carefully, you'd see Pam and I also in that picture. We took a group of college students to Birmingham, England. Birmingham, England is now a majority Muslim city. In fact, they say by 2020, England as a country could be a majority Muslim country. It's growing. So we went and we did ministry amongst Pakistanis there. Cecil, good friend of mine, 
uh, has come to visit us several times and probably will come visit me up here in the north someday. Uh, Cecil would tell us that when he started in ministry, he works for an organization called Operation Mobilization, taking the gospel out. When he started in Pakistan, taking the gospel out in Pakistan, he would say that they you'd be really quiet and timid when guys would first start. And after a while, after sharing the gospel, you'd come across a gang and they would take you and beat you. What Cecil would testify after that is what beating Christians did was make them bold. And in fact, they started working that into their missions training. If you want to come work here, we're going to teach you how to receive a beating. Because it will happen. And once it does, what they find over and over again is the Christians say, that's all you've got? You can beat me? That's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Why? Because they have the right view of eternity. That whether it revolves going to jail or taking a beating or paying a fine, promoting the gospel, sharing with people the news that Jesus Christ would die for them is of such eternal value that they're willing to pay the price. So I ask you, what is the price you would pay? Is it being annoying? Is it being off-putting? Is it losing a friend or two? Is it being the weird, awkward neighbor? What price are you willing to pay? So Peter and John are in jail for preaching the gospel and then using that opportunity to preach the gospel. So what do you suspect they do in jail? They preach the gospel, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. This is the same group of people who murdered Jesus. With Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. That's bold, speaking to a group of people who just murdered your leader, but he gets bolder, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And He puts it as clear as He can make it. Jesus is the only way to for salvation. It cannot be found anywhere else. It's the only thing that can save you. And he preached that to the religious people. And we put it before you today because it's still true. That rule following can't save you. Doing the right things can't save you. Acquiring wealth or possessions can't save you. Only Jesus. That's why we gather together to worship. And if you haven't figured this out yet, I hope you will. 
that there isn't a good person in this room. Not a one of us. That we're all sinful, broken people. We're just at different degrees of honest about that. Because I promise you, you might be sitting next to somebody and you're convinced they've got their act together and they don't. Ask them after the service. Seriously. Be awkward. Hey, do you have your act together? Just wondering. And if they say yes, they're lying. So you know they're guilty. There's not one of us here. Right, we gather together as a body, the Bible would call us to do this, that we'd uplift the name of Jesus and testify that it's only in Him and it's only in His name that we have life. That's why we worship Jesus. It's He who puts us together. It's He who holds us. It's He who gives us value. That's why Peter and John cared so much to share with this lame man. That's why they cared about sharing it with the crowd. That's why they even cared enough about these religious leaders whose eyes probably boiled with hatred even as they spoke. There is salvation in no one else. See, Peter and John are loving these guys with the truth. They had every right, every place to have said, hey, to heck with you guys, we're going home. To heck with you, we've got a good attorney. To heck with you, we've got plenty of stuff to do. We'll get out of here tomorrow. We've got to do some Bible study in the, back in the cell. We'll see you later. No, they loved even those that hated them and persecuted them. Do you see the gospel resiliency in these guys? They're kind of unstoppable. Which is to say, to summarize, they're going somewhere, stop to share the gospel, use that as a pro- platform to share the gospel, got thrown in jail, and then used that as a platform to share the gospel. We've yet to see them really do anything else, right? Unless you think that this is some kind of specially trained professional, Luke, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I say that, so sincerely, because we believe in the inspiration of Scripture, that God breathed the very words of Scripture that Luke was carried along, it says in First Peter, by the Holy Spirit as he wrote. I say that because I want you to know that this is the view of our eternal God, not just Luke. Because both of them, four if you count the Trinity, want you to know, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and recognized that they'd been with Jesus. Look at the connections. We've put this verse before you. We need to always keep it before you. Because we can buy into this idea in America that we need to hire a guy. That it takes a professional that we need to have highly educated people, we need special people, we need we need a training, we need a study, we need to walk through this, we need to qualify some folks, we need to get there, we got to have the right answers, we got to know what we're doing. And that's not what qualified these guys. The text said they had been with Jesus. And that's what made the difference. But please consider this. 
Because their time with Jesus is not connected in this passage with them feeling good about themselves. With them having a better self-confidence or a better self-worth. And sadly, that's what we can make of our Christianity, right? It's just to make me feel better about myself. God, God exists so that I can know that somehow I have great value and I can be more self-confident to go on with my life. No, what is connected with being with Jesus here is gospel boldness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they recognized they'd been with Jesus. When they saw the boldness, it was boldness that testified that they'd been with Jesus. It wasn't just that they'd had a quiet time and went on with their day as if eternity didn't matter. No, they'd been with Jesus and they had the power of the Holy Spirit and they were bold. You know why I point that out for you nearly every week? All cards on the table. You know why we're here in the book of Acts? Because this is the connection I want you to make. This is what I've been praying about for us as a church. That we get a grander view that it's not pastors who build the kingdom or build the church. It's not professionals. You will find it nowhere in any text. It's not me. It's you. It's you that will build the church. It's you that will testify to Jesus. It's you that has the greatest potential to make a colossal impact on this king, on the, on the kingdom in this area. It's not me. And the more you think it's me, the more we'll utterly fail. And the more you know it's you, trusting in Jesus, trusting in His promises, with the power of the Holy Spirit, willing to express with some confidence occasionally. Danny Lukey shared with us once in our contenders meeting on Fridays, it just takes three seconds of courage sometimes. Just three seconds to step into a conversation and say, hey, what do you think Jesus would think about that? Or where are you with Jesus? Are those three seconds awkward? Please answer. Do you see how many people said yes? Do you think it won't be awkward for you? It's awkward each and every single time. But it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth it. Because the gospel isn't being carried out by professionals, it's God's people. And by that I mean literally every single one of you. Now most of the time I like to use the pastoral we, because I want you to know that we are sinners. I want you to know that we are broken. I want you to know that we are struggling in life, because I don't want you separating you from me to think I'm something special that you're not, because I'm not. Here I say you, and I mean you intentionally. Because the Bible would testify in Ephesians 4 that I exist to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. That's why I exist, according to Ephesians 4. That God created me not to go on the streets and talk to everyone, not to be invited to your house to meet your neighbors or your in-laws or whoever else you want to hear about Jesus, but to equip you and send you out. And for posterity's sake, if you are a you, please raise your hand. 
Not all, all of you should have your hands up. You can be a southern y'all. You are a you. And that's who God wants to use to build his church. Not me. I keep bringing us back to these two verses. If you want some verses to memorize as we walk through Acts, these two I'll give you. Because we're going to keep coming back to them. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a crucial verse for several reasons, and I'll give them all to you here. Paul talks throughout his epistles about being in Christ. You want to know how you get in Christ? You want to know how that applies to you? The NIV says, and you were included in Him. That's how it starts off. When you heard the word of truth. That's not just hearing, which is another way of saying coming to church regularly does not equate belief. It does not even equate salvation. It just equates coming and hearing. And the Bible would testify that it's not just hearing that saves you. It's hearing and believing. Believing that Jesus Christ is enough for salvation, Paul writes, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if you've heard the gospel, if you've believed the gospel, you were given the Holy Spirit. Paul testifies to that. Which is true of all of us if we've believed. And then you pair that with Acts 1.8, which Luke writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To summarize, you heard, you believed, you were sealed, and you were given power. So if you were you and you've believed, you have power. Yes. You have power. The Bible testifies to that. And that you have power to be His witnesses. Friends, this is the book of Acts. Normal people. By the way, I like normal people more than common people. Common seems a little offensive sometimes. Like, hey, a bunch of commoners. Normal people telling normal people about Jesus and building the church. That's the work of the church. That's why the church exists. He brings you back to this. Study the Holy Spirit. It's got two jobs. He points you to Jesus and He uses you to point other to Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. As we continue to work through the book of Acts, that's what you're going to see over and over again. Holy Spirit points people to Jesus and uses them to point other people to Jesus. It's happening even in this passage. But we'll continue. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Talk about this in a second, but do you see their squirminess? But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more words to anyone in this name. That's like, I'm going to write them a stern email. Put that in modern terminology. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. What do you think Peter and John did? They preached the gospel. Verse 19, Peter and John answered them, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They preached the gospel. So we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and heard. What God has done in our lives. What we've watched God do in our lives. Friends, if that's true for you, talk about it. And if it's not true for you, if you don't, if you look at your own life and you don't see God working and moving and you don't see that, that's not your experience, you don't think you have much to talk about, two things, two encouragements for you. One, start leaning into your own salvation. Start studying and considering the fact that God saved you. That you were a despicable sinner before He found you. And then He's shown you tremendous grace and then talk about that. And then from there, talking about His grace, watch Him move as you point other people to Jesus. And then you'll start to have something to talk about. And you'll be able to testify to what you've seen and heard. Peter and John have such incredible conviction through this section. Such resiliency, it's incredible. And yet when we compare them to these religious types, you'll see a big difference. Verse 21, the disciples can't stop talking. And 21, the leaders, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For they're all praising God for what had happened. Note the verse, because of the people. Church, we cannot be moved because of the people. We cannot be afraid of the people. We cannot be turned back because we're afraid of what people will think of us, because people will say about us. That's what's true about the religious people in this context. They let the crowd sway them. They let the crowd move them. They let the crowd talk them down. When the disciples showed gospel conviction and gospel resiliency, what they were willing to endure for the gospel, and that needs to be true for us. Verse 21, they're threatened again and then sent home. I'm going to skip down a couple of verses for the sake of time, but what do you think they do next? They gather together with the other disciples. Verse 24 says, when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God. This is they heard it. They heard the testimony of Peter and John going to preach the gospel. Having preached the gospel, they publicly preached the gospel. Having publicly preached the gospel, they preached the gospel in jail at least twice. When they heard the testimony, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, now quoting Psalm 2, Why did the Gentile rage and the people's plot in earth? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal 
and signs and wonders are performed through the body of your holy servant, Jesus. These disciples gather back together and they pray, God, despite the fact that they're going to abuse us, literally, may you grant us greater boldness. Church, you were not given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of boldness. You were given power. You were given authority that we might become bold. Not about who we are. Not about our accomplishments. Not about our greatness, but about Jesus Christ and His sufficiency. Verse 31 gives you the end of that. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled and the Holy, with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. That's my prayer for us as a church. That as we continue to walk through this, that the spark will get one of you. And another one. And another one. And another one. And that we as a church will grow in gospel boldness to declare what we proclaim. That salvation is to be found in Christ. That wholeness is to be found in Christ. That pain is to be taken away by Christ. That the only hope we've got in this earth is to be taken away by Christ. He's our only hope. And so we proclaim that. And we get bold with that. And that we worship together as a group of people. Broken. And sinful. Proclaiming the sufficiency of Jesus and grow bolder and bolder and bolder with the Word He's given us. Church, it's normal people speaking normal words of what God's done to save them. The Holy Spirit at work pointing people to Jesus. And then using you to point others to Jesus. Came across a sticker once that said, God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. You're not here because God thinks you're awesome and great. If God wanted to pick the anointed, the best of the best of the best of the best, sadly none of us would be in that room. He'd pick people like Bill Gates and Oprah. And I think one of the reasons why He doesn't is because He wants to show off the foolishness of this world. And I pray that both of those people come to know salvation. First Corinthians, it testifies that He picks the foolish things of this world to testify to His grace. That's you and that's me. Church, He wants to use us. He's qualified you through His Son. And that each of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation to testify to a great salvation. That what's happened to you can happen to anyone. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for this book of Acts. We see normal people carrying out a normal message and loving people. Father, we can be so tempted to make it about them and the theys and the, and the talented and the professionals and, and think it's not about me. Father, Your Word testifies that if we've believed in You, You've given us Your Spirit. And with Your Spirit, You've given us power 
And with power, you've called us to be a witness. You've declared that we are witnesses to who you are and what you've done. Father, I pray that as a church, you would grow us in our boldness to talk about what we've seen and what we've heard, what you've done in our lives. And Father, you'd help us to see your gospel fruit going out. Father, that you'd grow in us a gospel resiliency to testify to the greatness of our God and his ability to save, that he could save a sinner even like me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and for saving all of us. God, it's grace upon grace upon grace that none of us deserved, that none of us earned. And Father, we thank you for that. We exalt the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.